Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 34. Welcome back. Welcome back, friends. We're so calm and refreshed and relaxed. Do we sound it? We just got back from the mountains. Yeah. A nice cabin filled with our screaming children <laughs> and slightly <laughs> irritated husbands. Just kidding. They were great. They it, were cool. It was. It was yeah. a really great weekend trip. I was not nervous, but like a little bit nervous because like our families have never had a uh, a ton this of time together. Test. It was, this a, was test. a test. Like, could the Brooks and the Smiths cohabitate? Yeah, and we did it beautifully. We did. It was great. The yeah. kids totally got along. They're not even near the same ages. No. They're like four. Um, how old are my kids? <laughs> Seven and know, nine. <laughs> but they all played like they were best friends. It mm-hmm. was great. It was so cool. Great time. The husbands were super supportive and great. Yeah, and they, they got no along problem really well. staying behind while we did show. Yeah, it was all good. Yeah, it was super. It was a nice weekend. It was beautiful. We did hikes. We drank Shout beer. out to Nocturnal Brewing, yeah. which is the name of the brewery we performed at. It was delicious. Delicious food, great beer, really nice people. Good times. Um, only one crazy Trump supporter. Oh, yes. I got heckled. I got heckled, but it was fine. Well... <laughs> He tackled you because you... I provoked him. <laughs> you poked the bear. <laughs> I poked the bear. <laughs> I poked the bear. I asked him if if I needed to wear a MAGA hat for him to smile. And then he said, <laughs> maybe you should say something funny. And um, yeah. and I didn't really have much to say about that. <laughs> Man, Sally is the queen of crowd work. She uh, really is. I love it. I um, love it. Which that is funny because, like, in real life, I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> like, I don't want to, like, have... Right, right. I just like it when I'm in charge. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Sally show. <laughs> but, yeah, so we've decided that we love going to the mountains. If you live in a mountain town and you want us to come perform, yep. let us know. We'll get a cabin. We'll do it. We'll get a cabin. This is our new thing. So I just wanted to make a quick correction um, mm-hmm. about from episode 33 when I talked about my friend who will still remain nameless, but my friend that was shot when she was driving her car and saw those teenagers breaking into cars. Yeah. The news said that she confronted the teens. Yeah. Almost like, and she's totally right. It's almost like a victim blaming way. Right. She, she, but she, she did it. She's asking for it. And you should never talk yeah. to teens, right? So. And that's not true. So I was going by what the article said, but she never stopped. She just saw them. They saw that she saw them. Yeah. She kept driving and then they shot at her car. Oh so she was, She didn't stop. She didn't do anything to provoke them. She yeah. was just minding her business. Not that if she had stopped and said something, not that that would have been asking for being shot like but right either way just to, but yeah. still don't ever approach yes. teenagers in, while committing a crime and i think this is telling us don't even look at them <laughs> don't even look at them all right we should go. we do our quickies yeah okay you're first i am first okay so jen yeah i know you're big into sports Actually, both of my stories today are a little sports themed. I don't why? know why. I don't know. Is it the Super Bowl? 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's anyway, okay. I mean, so I this trust is, you. I trust your They're sports adjacent. Okay. So this is about kiss cams. You know what a kiss okay, cam is? Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, so how do you feel about the kiss cam? Um, I think that they're they're fun to watch. It's like one of the fun the only things I like watching at sports games is yeah. the kiss cam. But I do think it's uncomfortable for some people because sometimes people are just sitting with their brother or their friend yeah, or they're not a couple at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Presumptuous yeah. to think that two people sitting next to each other are a couple. Yeah. But I, it's entertaining. Like it. It's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's better than the sports. I like to look at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's like, two really old people or like a crazy hot dad and his two-year-old son i am not for the kiss can i think i think it can like kick rocks i just i'm the same i feel like it's like a little presumptuous Uh it can be really awkward um they do with a crazy hot dad and a two-year-old you know sometimes they'll have like a a kid i don't watch i guess i don't watch enough sports yeah we used to go to a lot of baseball games Oh, okay. And you would see that a lot. Or they'd have like a little kid kissing their parent or oh, whatever. That's and that's cute. It is cute, right? Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to watch people kiss. I don't like it in movies. I don't. It makes me feel awkward. So my quickie today is about a kiss cam gone wrong. Oh, yay. Okay, so during a Barcelona SC game against Delphine, this was in Ecuador, mm. uh, the kiss cam panned to a man in a Barcelona jersey and a woman in a tank top kissing. And as soon as the couple realize that they're on the big screen, they instantly pull apart. Like, <gasps> the man, he pulls his arm, like, off her shoulder, and then the woman just, like, stares straight ahead, like, nothing was happening here. And they look, they just look super guilty. Oh, my God. At that point, just hide your faces. Or just Keep act kissing, normal. And yes. then so no one can see your face. I know. So, of course, like, this clip goes viral because they look crazy guilty. guilty yeah and the clip has now been viewed over 30 million times like even uh the band nickelback chimed in and was just like dude you gotta i mean nickelback yeah people are, are loving doing? it like everybody's speculating about whether these were a couple of cheaters that got caught or just a couple who's uncomfortable with the spotlight uh-huh but it was like just speculation right like nobody knew who either person was until the man outed himself because <gasps> this has been shared but he took to his facebook and his instagram and he wrote on facebook he wrote you've already destroyed my relationship what more do you want you don't know the psychological damage you have caused with all your hatred directed at me who is who is he talking to the right? kiss cam people or exactly just like- it's like you've destroyed my relationship like obviously this is like a guy who knows how to take responsibility what for what little he's doing bitch. in life. So obviously it was a couple of cheaters. It's oh not clear God. whether he was married or not, but it is clear that whoever he was cheating on dumped him because he went on Instagram and he was like begging for her forgiveness. And he wrote, I want to go back to living these moments by your side, my lovely. I'm really sorry. And this is why I've come out in public to comment on this nonsense so that I can ask you to forgive me here on Instagram. He said, I'm so confused, but I want you back. Hashtag forgive me. Hashtag I love <gasps> you. Hashtag come back. He hashtagged an apology. Right? Like if you what were the hell is wrong apology, with you? Yeah. And you were making out in public, dude. Like someone's in a huge yes. I'm assuming it was a big It's a huge field, stadium, right? Yeah. Stadium where you do sports. <laughs> like that's 
Just crazy. It's crazy. Oh it's like if that God. if you use a hashtag, like it's a hard pass. Like you come, you look at me in the eye. Holy shit. You tell me your dumb apologies so that I can tell you to like hashtag get the fuck out of here. Right? <gasps> that is nuts. I would I don't know what I would do. I definitely wouldn't not I would not respond to any kind of public Facebook apology. Like, even if it's a Facebook apology. It's like, leave the hashtags out of it. Hashtag go fuck yourself. Yeah. So that's my quickie. Love it. Okay. Hey, Sal. Yeah? Um, you know how I like to do holiday theme things for holidays? I do love. <laughs> I, I, hold on. I do know that. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, I'm going to do some Valentine's. I know we only have like a couple weeks before Valentine's happens, so you're only going to get like one or two Valentine's quickies out of me. Okay. Okay. So... This Valentine's, I thought it would be fun. This one is actually from a BuzzFeed article written by Julie Gerstein. Um, That's 17 truly hilarious Valentine's Day horror stories. Love it. Love it. I just picked some of my faves Uh out of the article. Um, This one, so people wrote in um, and told like, Terrible things that happened to them on Valentine's. Yeah. Um, so this one was written by M.M. Mordant. Mm-hmm. She said, My long-distance internet boyfriend of several years surprised me with a visit to my college dorm on February 13th. It was the first time we met in person. We spent the day kissing and cuddling until I invited him up to spend the night. Then he told me that he was actually just stopping through Illinois on his way to New York where he is moving to live with his actual girlfriend. Cool. What the oh? <laughs> What a dick. Okay, I mean, some of these are terrible. Okay, this one, this one is sad. This one um, is written by Chelsea43D2 Bakba. Okay. Very complicated. (laughs) Uh, So last, she said, last Valentine's Day, my long distance boyfriend and I got into a fight. I I decided to try and say sorry by sending him a heart-shaped pizza from Pizza Hut. I got a phone call about 30 minutes after I ordered saying that he refused my pizza. So the Pizza Hut girl called to ask what I wanted to do with it, and I started crying on the phone, and I told her to eat my love pizza. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather eat my own love pizza. I know. I'd be like, bring it here. I know. It's so sad. (laughs) Also, like... Do you think he refused it because he was like, I didn't order a pizza? Maybe. Like, if somebody came to my house with a pizza, I'd be like, get the fuck away. I'm sure the the delivery guy wasn't like, no, but it's a love pizza. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Uh, so this one is from Amy's 45-8E2FF5. <laughs> <laughs> What a crazy last name. <laughs> this one's real effed. It says, I spent all day baking red velvet cupcakes for my boyfriend. I went over to his place with these cupcakes in my hand and his family around. And with his family around, and he looks at me and says, I don't think this is going to work out. He took the cupcakes out of my hands, pushed me out the door, and locked it. I was too shocked to even do anything but leave. I ended up going to the movies by myself because I had already bought the tickets. What a douche. What a douche. Such a douche. This guy is a douche as well. This guy, I think this is the last one I'm going to read. And this one, this guy's a real big douche. Uh, Emily D88, nice, short, quick name. Yeah. Um, said, I was dating a guy off and on, and we were on, we were on again right before Valentine's Day. We went to a very nice dinner, and he paid. Later, we went out for drinks at our favorite bar, and I opened a tab. 
30 minutes later, he disappeared and I found him talking to another girl. When I went up to them, he acted like he didn't even know me and told me to leave them alone. Could you imagine? Like, I would lose my fucking mind on this guy. And so then he said, uh, she said, when I closed my tab, the bill was over $200, even though she had only had two drinks. The bartender ended up telling me that he had purchased multiple drinks for other girls on my tab. No. Needless to say, we were never on again after that. Fucking good. That's crazy. I, that's what, things like that, it's like, that's so a gift. I'm because dating. I'm sure there were like a million red flags before that. But if that's what it ta- took you to see that like, this is a horrible person you're dating, then good. I'm glad yeah. he did it because... Every single one of these. It's like, yeah. good, get good, get red. Yeah. <laughs> they suck. They sucked. So those are my cookies. Those were awesome. I love a good, I love getting all indignant about other people's relationships. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a crazy story? Yes. This is a super crazy story. Okay. Also sports adjacent because I got... That's okay. They always end up being pretty good. Right? I got my most of my information from an ESPN article and also from a 48 Hours Mystery. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So this is a story of Ramon Sosa. When Houston investigators looked down at his body in the shallow grave, they already knew who Ramon Sosa was. He was one of the biggest boxing trainers in Texas. He and his wife owned two successful gyms, one less than two miles away from the gravesite. Detectives took pictures of Ramon's body. He had what appeared to be a gunshot wound to his right temple and had blood running from his head and from his nose. He was wearing only his underwear and his arms were pulled behind his back. He looked like he had been bound. As they finished taking the the pictures, one of the detectives said, okay, we're done, Mr. Sosa. You can get up now. Ramon Sosa opened his eyes and sat up. (gasps) This reminds me of the ketchup lady. It is kind of like the ketchup lady. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay, so Ramon Sosa was born in Carolina, Puerto Rico, but his family had moved to Houston when he was very young. He grew up boxing with his father, and after training for 10 years at age 17, he decided to turn pro. They called him the Puerto Rican Express. He didn't last long as a pro because he felt like boxing was a business where people were just trying to make money off of you, and he says he felt like nothing but a piece of meat. He decided to go to school and go to college. He came back to Houston, but on the side, he started training other boxers. So he was soon training pros and Olympic hopefuls, and he was traveling for fights to places like Las Vegas and New Jersey and teaching them how to spar in this like fast-paced Puerto Rican style. But like before, he got disillusioned with the professional circuit. So he thought, this is all just about entertainment. So he went, he found that his love was actually training young amateurs because he said they do it for the heart, for the love, for something other than money. And actually, he started this nonprofit called the Young Prospects Boxing Program, and dozens of young kids from gangs and troubled backgrounds around Houston came through his, his program to learn how to box. So Ramon had married young and had three children with his first wife, but the two were divorced in the year 2000. In the year 2000. (laughs) Uh, So by 2007, Ramon was 40 and he was ready to meet someone new. So enter Maria de Lourdes Durantes, who everybody called Lulu. So Ramon noticed Lulu on the dance floor at a trendy 
Latin nightclub in Houston, and she was beautiful. She had long, dark hair, and Ramon was immediately attracted to her. And Lulu noticed him, too, and when she and her friends walked by his table, she stepped on his toe with her, like, six-inch heels, and she, like, immediately apologized and was like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, what can I do? And he was like, well, why don't you dance with me? And Lulu later admitted that she had done it on purpose because she had noticed him and she wanted to meet him. And so That's Lulu a was, good it's a pretty good, right? Technique. Like step on a toe, like yeah. throw a drink on someone. I don't know. I don't know how people <laughs> Punch meet. Punch them in the face. <laughs> Spin their food. On yeah. accident. On accident. On accident. And then, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Can we go to dinner? Right. Uh, so Lulu was from Mexico. She'd come to the U.S. on a visitor visa. And at the time, she worked cleaning houses and as a masseuse. Um, she had been divorced in Mexico and had a son and daughter, and she wanted to make a better life for them. So she had moved the whole family to Houston. So Ramon and Lulu spent the whole night dancing together. And after that moment, they were inseparable. And everybody said they were this really complimentary couple. Like Ramon loved how Lulu doted on him. He said like if he if he had a drink, like before he would even finish, she would bring him another. She like got up every morning and made him coffee and made him breakfast. And he was the same with her. He like, he doted on her. He gave her gifts and money and clothes. And then on Christmas in 2008, he proposed and they were married soon after in March of 2009. And Ramon at the time already owned a small boxing gym before they were married. But together in 2010, they opened a second gym called Woodlands Boxing and Fitness and it was immediately successful. Lulu was the manager and she became a personal trainer and Ramon trained the boxers. So the gym pulled in about 200 clients and they were bringing in about 18 to $20,000 a month wow. like as profit. So Ramon had always worked a full-time job at a shipping company in addition to training boxers. But now they were like doing yeah. so well. Like he, they bought a brand new house. They bought motorcycles and cars. And Lulu bought nice clothes and jewelry. And Ramon says that they were like living a dream come true for both of them. So Ramon sponsored Lulu and her mother and her two teenage children to help bring them into the U.S. for citizenship. And that whole process took about three years. And he said that those were like the happiest three years. And then after that happened cracks began to open up in their marriage. Like as soon as she was legal? As soon as, yeah, the whole family was there. Yay, yay. So Ramon's children say, though, that they they had become estranged from their father kind of as soon as Lulu appeared in his life. She didn't want him to have anything to do with his own kids. She didn't even allow them to come to their wedding. So Wait, what? Ramon's so kids didn't come to their wedding. <gasps> That's so fucked. Isn't that fucked? Yes. Oh, that makes I me mean, angry. I mean, it makes me angry at Ramon. Yeah. Like, they're your kids. Exactly. Like, I don't care what she's saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's on him. Mm -hmm. So in 2014, Ramon and Lulu got into a fight while they were on vacation in Puerto Rico. And according to Ramon, uh, she said, like, I'm going to call your mom and tell her how you're acting. And he knocked the phone out of her hand. But according to Lulu, he had hit her. And she also started telling friends that Ramon had become physical with her on, an, on a couple of occasions that he had grabbed or pushed her while he was drinking. Um, she told friends that he had forced her to have sex. And she told them that he was lazy and that she was basically the one running the business. 
Um, according to Ramon, Lulu contacted sponsors of his nonprofit and accused him of embezzling money. Oh my and gosh. this like caused the sponsors to drop his Young Prospects program and forced it to close. Wow. So Ramon, on his part, denies all of these claims. And actually, investigators would later say that they found no evidence suggesting that there was any misconduct with the Young Prospects. And they didn't find any evidence to lead them to believe any of the abuse allegations against Ramon. But that's totally... Yeah, you uh, just never know. Who yeah. knows? So around this time, money had also started coming missing from the gym. And Ramon thought that Lulu, who was in charge of the books, was skimming money. Everything came to a head in March of 2015 when Lulu filed for divorce. And it was contentious. Like, she wanted everything, and he didn't want to give her everything. Mm -hmm. So, but they, I think on the advice of their lawyers, they remained in the same house. Because I think it's one of those things where they're like, if you leave the house and you're giving up your right to it. Um, But they were living on different floors while the divorce was pending. God, what a nightmare. I know. So in June of 2015, a man named Mundo... Uh, walked into the gym and overheard Lulu in the office talking with her teenage daughter. And they were talking about a guy they knew who had an uncle who was a killer in Mexico who cut up bodies. And Lulu was wondering if maybe he could help with their situation. Oh, my God. And Mundo said he immediately knew that the situation was Ramon. So Mundo had known Ramon for a long time. He had met him in 2005 after Mundo had been released from jail for a violent felony charge. Mundo had become involved in a local gang when he was 12 and had been shot six times before he went to jail. Whoa. When he got out, he was looking to start a new life. And that was when he walked into Ramon's gym. And Ramon says that Mundo was different. He said he didn't want to fight. He just wanted to learn how to box. And that relationship, Mundo said, was the first time any male figure took an interest in his life. He said he took it upon himself to check up on me. He didn't have to do that. And that meant a lot. And Mundo was actually the inspiration for that Young Prospects program. Um, The two worked together. They wanted to save kids like Mundo who came into the gym. Oh, wow. So, And then when Lulu came into Ramon's life, she made friends with Mundo too. Until their divorce got messy, Mundo actually felt like the two of them were kind of like his second family. So when Mundo walked into the gym and he overheard Lulu talking, he kind of went numb because this was somebody that he loved, talking about somebody else he loved. But he went in and he tried to get Lulu to confide confide in him. And she told him that she was just tired and frustrated and that she wanted to make Ramon disappear. And Mundo said he made like a pistol sign with his finger and was like, you mean like disappear, disappear? And she said, yes. And so Mundo told her that he might know a guy. So the guy that Mundo knew was made up. Okay. So Mundo immediately went to Ramon and was like, your wife wants to kill you. Holy shit. And he said, I know this is true because I've seen the look, that look before of somebody <gasps> who wants to kill. And so Ramon immediately contacted the, the police, but they told him they couldn't do anything based on the conversation. He said, as threatening as it sounds, you're in the middle of a divorce and she's already made allegations against you. So... Like, how do we know this is true? So Mundo and Ramon came up with a plan. They bought two disposable cell phones. They gave one to Lulu and then the other one to Ramon, who would pretend to be a guy named Paco the Hitman. And they would not talk on the phone, but text back and forth. So, and Mundo would also, he would talk with Lulu about it and he started recording his conversations. So there was one where Mundo said, like, what's up, Lulu? They just want you to know 
based on like what you're offering to know you're serious that you want him dead. And she's on tape saying, yes, 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 definitely. They want to do it. They should do it. I don't give a damn. They want to know that I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay. So Mundo would like talk to the hitman who was actually Ramon and then negotiate for her. And they were worried that maybe it was taking too long um, because it was kind of like, what are you, how much is it going to be? What are you going to offer? So they were worried that Lulu was going to change her mind and hire someone else. And the whole time, Lulu and Ramon are living in the same house. Oh my God. So Ramon said he was scared. He started carrying a gun at night. He would keep it under a pillow. Yeah, he would keep oh it under a pillow, like loaded gun under his pillow. And then at the end of June, Lulu and Ramon went to court because she got a restraining order against him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then a few days after that, at the beginning of July, Lulu gave Mundo money to give a hitman to buy a gun. And at that point, they recorded enough conversations and they had the money. And so they felt like they had enough evidence to bring to the police. So for Mundo, he knew that going to the police would mean putting himself in danger because he said that even though he was no longer a gang member, he had taken an oath and that it would look like he was snitching and that could have big consequences in the gang. So, But he feared for his friend Ramon's life. And so he took his evidence, the money, the text messages, videos, auto recordings, all to the police. And they believed him. They knew that by coming in that he was breaking the code. And so they thought this makes him legit. So, however, because of the abusive allegations against Ramon, because she had gotten that restraining order, detectives wanted to have a solid case before they arrested Lulu. So they asked Mundo to wear a wire and continue his communications with Lulu. So overall, he recorded 12 more conversations over three weeks with her in one, she says, the divorce is happening July 22nd, and she wants dead before that so she could get his retirement. And she says, that fucker hasn't given me a single penny since February. And she said, they better kill him before the 22nd. That way I'll have life ins- insurance for life, a pension for life. My life will be all figured out. Mundo, do you know what I'm saying? He has worked hard all his life for his retirement. Well, now it's time for me to work on my retirement. This is my retirement. His life is my retirement. Holy fuck. Yeah. So she's not just like, oh, it's what was me? Like She's like the devil. Yeah. So, oh, my God. So Mundo asks on the tape, he goes, so from here to the court date, you want to have him killed? And she says, yes. And then he, actually Mundo like, says, why do you keep asking me? I already <laughs> told you. I told you in time. Yes. Killed. Done. Dead. <laughs> so he says several times in the recordings, he said, you know, you can change your mind. Like, you can change your mind. Nothing will happen. Nobody's forcing you to do it. And she says, if I say do it, I mean do it. The decision's already made. And then he actually texted her and just said, remember, once he's dead, there's no coming back from that. And she wrote back, it's clearer than water. So, and the police are like, I just need a little <laughs> more proof that she means it. Yes. I'm yes. like, oh, really? Yes. Oh, so, my God. I'm just kidding. So they decide to have Lulu meet Paco. Oh, my who, God. Who, of course, is like the hitman who's now an um, undercover agent. And so the officer asks, as she's giving the money, like, do you want to meet up? And she says, no, I want him dead. And the officer said he was like struck by her lack of emotion. Like she, he said, when you deal with someone who has no emotion, shows no empathy, no sympathy, those are truly, truly dangerous individuals. Wow. So then the officers decide to fake Ramon's death. Um, and they learned how to do stage ma- makeup by using YouTube tutorials, oh which I think is so funny. It's like some teenager was like, oh my God, I know how to do some cornstarch and some red paint. And you just put like, a little bit of butter hair. And they're like, okay. Cooks <laughs> 
Subscribe. <laughs> Subscribe on YouTube. They said they wanted it to be a slam dunk because they had enough evidence to arrest her, but they worried that a jury might feel sorry for this beautiful woman who had no police record. Oh my God. And so they had Ramon lay in that shallow grave. They took pictures and Ramon said, I was sitting there with my eyes closed thinking, what am I doing? What the heck am I doing here? I thought about Lulu. Like, why did it have to come down to this? It could have been a simple divorce. It should have never happened. And I he know. Said, In that moment, I realized she never loved me. Like, that's yeah. when you realized it. But yeah. Oh, my God. So the next day, the undercover agent goes to the gym and shows Lulu the picture. And she shows no emotion. And then she says... He won't get up anymore. And then she starts laughing. <gasps> it's crazy. So the day after that, she was arrested. She immediately asked for a lawyer. She never made a statement after that. And 15 months later, in October of 2016, she pleaded guilty to a lesser charge of solicitation of capital murder. She never looked at Ramon as a judge sentenced her to 20 years in life. And no one, her, no one from her family ever spoke publicly in her defense. Wow. So as for Mundo... Once he was outed as part of the whole operation by this Houston news outlet. So his name actually isn't Mundo. It's something else. But that's, yeah. but that's what he goes by. And so he had asked to be anonymous. But then this Houston, oh God. yeah, like showed his picture and showed his real name. And so he started getting threats of home invasion, threats against his life and threats against his wife, children, other <gasps> family members who no. still lived in his old neighborhood. And Ramon, who continues to where he continues to work his day job while also training fighters. He recently declared bankruptcy and has moved out of his house and his gym. And he now lives in a small apartment and he put all their possessions in storage. And he says, maybe one day I'll have a bonfire, you know, just burn everything. So actually both Mundo and Ramon have written books about their experiences. Mundo's is called My Son Mundo and it's kind of a fictionalized version. And Ramon's is called I Walked on My Own Grave. Wow. And that's the story of Ramon Sosa. Okay, hey, Sally. Yes, Jen? I've got an actual love story. Love it. There are lots of things in the story that will break your heart. It is a very heartbreaking love story, but love wins in the end. We're going to happy town. We're going to happy town. We're going to happy town. This is, and this came from a couple of articles, newsleader.com, a story written by Steve Pockin. Hey, Steve. Or Pokin. Pockin. And then another article for Four States Homepage. Dot com, which is written by Jasmine Bailey. And then there's this really great transcript that was a transcript of an interview that Billy Cooper gave to um, a man named John Rutherford at the Springfield Green County Library. Okay. Got it? Got all those things? Sure. All right. Are you ready? I am. All right. This wait, is let me the get my, love story. Let me get my love, my love pose. Okay. Get okay, your love ready. pose. This is the story of Billy and Dora Cooper. So Billy Cooper grew up in the 1950s in the boot heel of southeast Missouri. Uh The boot heel, I just found out, (laughs) is the bottom part of the state. Uh Sally just taught me that. Um, (laughs) So he was the 11th of 12 children. Dang. Yeah. And um, he started working on the farm when he was really young. At five years old, he started picking cotton on the farm for his family. And at seven, he started topping cotton, which is a way harder job even than picking cotton. Apparently, it would be hard to chop cotton. It's so soft. Yeah. His, his, well, I think you chopped the, no, I don't. All right. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. And so his, his arms and his hands would be like bloody every day. 
poor little baby. Um, but every person in his family worked. All of the children worked. It doesn't matter how old you are. They would find a job for you to yeah. do. And so when his family moved from the farm, they moved to Bernie, Missouri. He was entered into a segregated school. Okay. Um, and it was a very small school where like one class would be grades one through four. Yeah. And he had like this teacher that was like real mean. And then he said there were no timeouts. Like if you did something she didn't like, she would hit you in front of the whole class like, oh with a switch. So breaks my heart. And he was, I know, and he was picked on for being poor, mm-hmm. and in his school, everybody bullied him, and so he actually says that he actually missed being on the farm, because it was better than being bullied. Oh, poor guy. And poor so little buster. I know. And so, all through middle school, he was picked on, and because of this, Billy grew into being a very, like, shy and timid person. Yeah. He just couldn't understand why people didn't like him for no reason, and just picked on him because of things he couldn't control. Right. So then when he went to high school, he actually went into Central High School. It was an integrated school. And he actually did pretty well there. Mm-hmm. He loved sports and he played football and he ran track. Like things were going good. He also had a job as a custodian at the Galois Theater. Okay. And it was there at the theater that one day on a July 2nd, 1966, Billy met Dora Dickerson. Dora had come in to watch the Saturday Kids show that happened every Saturday morning. She went there with a friend, and that friend introduced them, and immediately they were just... Sparks flew. Sparks flew. They were just instant connection, love at first sight. They just knew that this is the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. Wow. At 16. Yeah. Yeah. And so they started spending a ton of time together. You know, they just never wanted to be apart. But about a week or so later... Billy's boss brought him into the office and told him that he couldn't date Dora and that if he did, he would lose his job because Dora was Caucasian. And at that time, there were anti-miscegenation laws that made it illegal for interracial relationships. I don't think I said before, but so he's African-American and she's, yeah, she's Caucasian. So because it's it's so crazy to think that even your work can right. tell you who you can and can't date. So this is in the 1960s? 60s, yeah. Ugh. So there were still 15 states at this time that had anti-miscegenation laws. Right. His boss gave him the ultimatum. Billy didn't even hesitate. He just immediately just gave up his job because he wanted to be with Dora. Yeah. He was like, oh. see you later then. And so, not, but not only did his work not approve of their relationship, but the school wouldn't allow them to date either, even though it was, you know, an integrated school. Right. Dora told this Four States homepage, she said, we went to the first football game of the season and we walked into the football game holding hands. And then the next day we were in the office at school. We were told the white girl could not date a black guy. They also were not allowed to go to prom together. And Billy was kicked out off of all of his sports teams. Man. I know. It's awful. And their parents didn't approve either. Actually, especially Billy's father. He was afraid that dating a white woman was going to get him killed. Right. Um, because he had actually witnessed a lynching once, and he knew what hateful people could be capable right. of. He was and scared for his son. He was terrified, yeah. yeah, that this would happen to him. And so, and their relationship was dangerous. They had been chased. They were actually once shot at. What? Um, yeah, but they loved each other other 
so much and they just knew that no matter what they had to stay together so in 1967 when the supreme court ruling remember when we did the story on love versus for loving versus virginia yeah um, which allowed for the legalization of interracial marriage throughout all 50 states but a lot of things still didn't get easier for them because a lot of states found ways around the laws. It wasn't like an overnight thing. Right. It wasn't like people were like, oh, great. Now we're not, now we're not racist. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody was still very racist. Yeah. Um, And in 1969, when they were 19, the Coopers tried to get married. And back then, this ended in 1980. It's not a thing anymore, but they, they used to make you test for syphilis before you got married. Okay. And if either person tested positive, then the county would not grant a marriage license until the infection was treated because they said that syphilis could harm the fetus. It's like an old... Okay. If, if you had a baby. Yeah. 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 So they had to take this test and they both they both failed their syphilis test. Right. And then they went to two different places, not together, and then they passed. Yeah. And so when they went back to the first place where they failed, they asked them, they said, I don't understand how we could have failed because we're both virgins. Like, Mm -hmm. how could we both have failed this syphilis test? And the nurse said to them, oh, well, uh, what did you eat for lunch that day? (laughs) And they both said Campbell's soup, Campbell's vegetable Uh soup. And then they were like, oh, see, um, yeah, that's that's why you failed. Campbell's vegetable soup can uh, give you a false positive. Can I tell you a crazy story? Yes. um, So my friend, I won't say her name, but she listens to the podcast. But so she is like this high-powered business lady. And she was getting a new job at a place she had previously worked. But it's like, it's like a... Big level job, right? This is like a huge thing. So just one of the things was that you had to take a drug test. And she had had some time off in between work and her previous job and her new job. And she lives in New York. And she said she'd been ordering bagels every day. Poppy Poppy seed bagels. That was on Seinfeld. And she tested positive for drugs. And she's like, I don't. I don't do any drug. And so she retook the test and it was like negative right away. Right. Um, but they still withdrew the job offer. Even <gasps> though this was a company she had worked at for like 15 years previously. Oh my God. And so there yeah. she is. She quit her old job. She's like, has Holy no shit. job. And they wouldn't even, they were like, well, we'll give you like a probationary, like low job level job. And she was like, Fuck you. For no. what? The poppy seed bait. Oh my God. That's yeah. Crazy. And they knew it was, I mean, they knew her. They knew it was wrong, but they were like, this is just policy. And so she ended up getting a job, a better job with their competitors. And now she's kicking ass there. And Hell yeah. Yeah. She's so great. Shout out to you know who you are. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's crazy. Say. Yeah. So isn't that crazy? Anyway. Yeah. False positive. Go ahead. So <laughs> tell me your love. So no your poppy seed bagels, but no be happy. Campbell's vegetable soup, apparently. Yeah. If you don't want to test positive for syphilis. Right. So when they were 19 years old, Billy and Dora did get married. They were married in their little apartment on May 10th, 1969. And it was then that Billy's father finally told Dora that, you know, he always liked her. So they started to accept each other, but her family was a little slower to accept. Um, Soon after they got married, Billy was in a car accident. His car and a city bus collided and his car was totaled. And Billy said that he was certain that he saw his father-in-law, Dora's father, drive by the accident and didn't even stop. (gasps) And he said, and um, Dora was like so devastated. She said she was extremely close to her dad. She was so mad at him. And he told 
he told her, of course, that he didn't see it was Billy or whatever. And Dora was like, that's bullshit. Right. And, you know, and then she went off on him and told him, like, I could have been in that car and you just drove by it. And she said that it was from that day forward that he started to really treat Billy like a true son-in-law. Yeah. So, and it's sad that that had to happen for him to start doing that. But throughout their marriage, they faced so many obstacles. Neither black nor white churches would accept them. They just like, couldn't fit in anywhere. And this story is so sad. Um, so Billy told John Rutherford at the Springfield County Library, um, he said, you know, when you talk about being affected and being hurt, I was an adult male, probably in my mid-30s. We went to Disney World together, and it was probably one of the better days of my life. And when we were there, we were young, we were having a ball. And, you know, at Disney World, the lines are long as all outdoors. And while we were standing in this line, we had finally got to our chairs. And it was one of those rides where you have benches, long benches. And, you know, you have 20 rows of benches. Well, we got in and nobody sat next to us. People would rather stand in that line than sit with us, and my feelings were really hurt. Now, I'm a grown man, but I don't know how to explain it, but when you're really, really happy and having a great time, and you're not thinking you're black, you're not thinking you're in an interracial marriage, you're just having a great time, and then you look at both sides, and the people are looking at you like you have some horrible disease that's very contagious, it really hurt my feelings. It's heartbreaking. It's so heartbreaking. And that's just, it's like such a... It's like an everyday thing, I'm sure, that happened sure. to that couple. Like, they they were living their whole lives as just like, we're just trying to be a couple who's married, and they're having those aggression, aggression, and microaggressions every minute oh, of their yeah. day, which is just so heartbreaking. So, and then when Billy was 24, he had just purchased a home. Um, they had purchased their first home, and Dora was due any day with their first son, Joshua, mm-hmm. when Billy suffered a seizure at work. Mm-hmm. And he was taken to the hospital, and he was diagnosed as being epileptic, epileptic and his job just fired him for it. <gasps> they were just like, this is just not a thing that we want to have to deal with. Right. So on... Um, that day that he was released from the hospital was the day that his um, son was born. And he says that that was the happiest day of his life. But here he is with a new son, a new house, and he has no, no job. job. Oh my God. Um, and he had, always, I know, I know. And he, so he had always been a custodian, but he really wanted a job in social work because he really wanted to help people. Um, so here he is like, I have no job. I want to, you know, go for something. And so Dora actually encouraged him to go to this agency that she had seen in the newspaper that could help him get into college. And he said that he had never envisioned that for himself. You know, he had always just been a custodian. But yeah, Dora just working. He'd got married young and yeah. yeah. But Dora believed in him and told him that he could have any job that he wanted. So he went to this agency and an older man told him the best thing that he could do for him was offer him a six-week custodial training session. Mm. And then he went home feeling defeated and Dora was like, and quote, she said, that's crap and you can do better than that. Yeah. And then she apparently rode his ass for a week, he said. And then so he finally went back. But this time he spoke to a woman named Anna McQuarter, who she, he said she looked him right in the eye and said, Billy, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And she said that he certainly could go to college and said, just tell me what you want to do and I'll help you do it. Yeah. And so she mentored him his entire way through college. And he's been working in social work for the last 
28 years. That's amazing. I know. She, He said, I never would have went to college, he said, but Dora told me I could be better when I had no zero confidence in myself. She always had faith in me. She always encouraged me. And they are now both 70 years old, and they've been married for 51 years. That's amazing. And the Coopers have their own family. They have their son, Joshua, who's now 45, and he's a postal worker in Kansas City. And he has a son, so they have a grandson named Anthony Cooper, who also loves football. Oh, when they were around their 40s, Dora's niece, Jessica, had special needs and they ended up taking them in because um, her parents couldn't care for her. Yeah. So then they, they were actually told that, you know, she wouldn't really be able to do anything with her life. But now she's like, has a job and she's grown and she's a, she's a mother to a three-year-old boy named Skylar. That's amazing. I know. So they still live in Springfield and they volunteer at the Galore Theater where they met And they said that they're happy to see that times are changing and it's great to see interracial couples on commercials and movies. Yeah. You know, representation is so important. And when asked how they feel about everything that they've been through, they say that it takes too much energy to be resentful towards the past. Billy said that throughout everything, all of the hardships made their, their relationship stronger and more in love. He said, both of us are stubborn. You're fighting the world, or at least you feel like you're fighting the world. But I always knew that when I got home to Dora, I was safe. And he said, for me, it was knowing that the person loves you no matter what. And as time goes by, you experience things and you know this person has your back. And Dora just says, it was love. I really love Billy. I love him with all my heart. Oh, that's so good. So good. That was a really good story. Thank you. I mean, there, it's so heartbreaking, but it's also just like, I love to see that they're still together and so in love and happy. Yeah. Are you into the secret histories of exorcisms, Christmas massacres, killdozers, and concert disasters? How about haunted mansions, the Philadelphia Experiment, the Dorm of Death, or candy corn? Then you're going to love Ghost Town, a hilarious and sometimes not so hilarious twice-weekly podcast. On Wednesdays, we discuss the secret history of an abandoned, unexplored, haunted, or mysterious place from anywhere in the world. And on Fridays, we cover an amazing historical failure from any time in history. Ghost Town is 100% safe and legal. We guarantee it. It's also fun, spooky, and can contain a riot, a massacre, a murder, or an arch deluxe. I'm Rebecca Lieb. I'm Jason Horton. And and this this is Ghost Town. Town. And you can find Ghost Town wherever you listen to podcasts. You want to do something dumb, something we love? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so my dumb thing is that we're no longer in the mountains. I know, it's the dumbest. It's the dumbest. I immediately... As we were like driving out of Hayesville, I started Googling mountain cabins and sending, like sending Ben links. And I sent you a link to one Yeah. Of those. Oh my God. The house was gorgeous. It was so amazing. I know. So yeah. So it's dumb that we don't get to be in the mountains all the time. And, but the thing that I love is something totally different and it is an Instagram account. I feel like we've, like this was, remember when we, we were talking about like, we just want someone to follow around influencers. Oh my God. I was looking at this account last night and I was thinking, in the wild? who sent this to us? This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's amazing. So I saw it from Sarah Tolomash. Do you know her? She's a, no. a really funny comic. She has a podcast called Vag, which you guys should listen to. It's so great. And she's awesome, but she linked to it. And I was like, 
this is exactly what I have been wanting my whole life. I know. So funny. So we will, we'll um, link to it. But yeah, influencers in the wild. It's great. It's just people videoing people taking pictures of people doing dumb stuff, trying to look sexy or whatever. Oh my God. It's just like, it's like chicken soup for my soul. Yes. I love it. I love it so much. And I was, I swear to God, last night I was looking at it and going like, how did, who sent this to us? It's so amazing. Yeah. And it's it's perfect. I assume because like we're following it on our Instagram. Oh, I, I did. Oh, you did. I followed it. But how did you, but you found it from your I found friend. it from Sarah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah, so yeah. good. So good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So my something dumb is, so remember last week we like did a thing on Instagram where we, we asked you guys, do you, cause I had talked about this where my husband likes to ask servers like pick something for me what's Uh your favorite thing surprise me and we asked you guys you know if you like that or if you hate it Uh and i thought for sure you guys were all gonna agree with me Uh but overwhelmingly zach won apparently you guys really like giving uh recommendations and you like when people ask you stuff like that at restaurants i okay I eat my words. I apologize. <laughs> Zach is thrilled. He's walking around with a little extra pep in his step. We went out to lunch last weekend and he like looks at Jen and then just looks right at the waitress and was like, what beer would you recommend? <laughs> and then she gave him his recommendation and he goes, I'll have that. Thank you. And, and guess what? He didn't really love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. He's he won this one, but I just want you guys to know that you have no idea what you have done to this family. <laughs> You've created the a monster. power dynamic is all off. I don't <laughs> like it. You created a monster. No, it's fine. Whatever he wins. So that's the something dumb. But the something that I love is last night I watched Fortune Femesters new oh, um netflix Fortune. i've opened for special. her a couple times she's so lovely and so fucking funny oh my god she's well I, yeah i've seen her live before and so funny and amazing and so sweet yeah but and she's coming here soon um but i watched her uh special last night and i was giggling like yeah you know that like when you know we're comedians we're around comedy all the time but when sometimes when someone just like makes you laugh so hard you're crying and yes. you're just like this is why yeah i fell in love with comedy yeah and it's just the best special she's so fucking likable yes that's the thing um, i was thinking, like she like makes you feel joyful joy joy yeah, it's like, it is. that's exactly it, it. i felt such joy yeah yeah so definitely yeah. Yeah, watch that. She's so great. Watch it. So amazing. Amazing. Um All right. so Well, yeah, guys, dude, I think we did it. We did it. We nailed it. 34. Hey, um Valentine's Day is coming up. We're going to um post another link to our merch page. Just saying, if you wanted, now is a great time to order for it your is. loved one, dumb love hoodies or t-shirts or mugs whatever they have they work great Um, they hold coffee really great they make really great valentine's gifts they do and there you can find them all on our website which is dumblovepodcast.com um there's a link to our merch page on there um you can also follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at dumblovepodcast you can email us your love stories or just you know if you find stories out there that you think that we might like to do on the podcast send them to us at dumblovepod at gmail.com 
and get out there and go do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum-da-dum, dum-da-dum, dum-da-dum, dum-da-dum.